Kevin gets sent up to the third floor and says that he wishes his family he doesn't want to ever see any of them again. That's I mean that's so, not that's not unreasonable. I feel like this is the moment it's not to talk unreasonable. About. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. It's fair enough. Okay, let's bring on the mayhem then. Basically, Kevin entices these two criminals into his sort of funhouse of horror. <laughs> Basically tortures them for about an hour and a half. <laughs> By the way, have we blown past the bit where Marv puts a nail through his foot? Oh yeah. Hello, welcome, and Merry Christmas to you all. From Shark Liver Oil, I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And it's that time of the year again. <sighs> wonderful, isn't it, Matt? Isn't it it's great? It's the most now that it... <laughs> wonderful time of the year. Come on, Dave. <laughs> well, a, I, a, I don't know the words. B, I like our <laughs> listeners too much to inflict my singing on them. But also C... <laughs> Is that an official statement from us, from a Shark Liver Oil perspective? Because, you know, we, we make a pretty big deal, big deal out of Halloween as well. So yeah, we come on, though. Come on. What? It's an official statement from me, <laughs> at the very least. I, well, as you know, I'm bang on board. I'm our, I'm our resident horror sceptic. So, uh, so, yeah, you want to talk to me about a festival that involves hiding under the bed and being frightened of stuff, or a festival that involves eating far too much for a week. I know which one mm. of those I prefer as an activity. Yeah, and I tell you what, just a glimpse behind the curtain here. Um, we're not one of those podcasts, you know, or one of those podcasts that are recording the Christmas special in the summer just to play out. So they go, oh, this is Christmas Eve we're recording this. This is legitimate. We've got the uh, Christmas tea on the go Yeah, for our American listeners, just reinforcing the stereotype. Absolutely. And, uh, ready to go. Ready to go. I read that stereotype a festive. little bit by saying that I, I also feel very festive and I'm reflecting that because I've got a glass of sangria on the go. <laughs> because Christmas traditions start somewhere, Matt, and I'm starting this one. <laughs> and speaking of Christmas traditions, one, one that has sort of gone into every year um, since I was about six is the Christmas tradition of watching Home Alone, um, the film, Tremendous. at some point during the Christmas period. And that is what we're going to look at today. As a Shortly Royal Christmas special, we're going to take you through Home Alone, hot on the heels of Jingle All the Way, which, um, let's be honest, got a lukewarm review from, from Shortly Royal. <laughs> what as it was to cover? I, I was a bit surprised because I kind of, in my head, that was the thing was we were going to do bad Christmas films because there are almost no Christmas books once you've done a Christmas Carol, and there are countless Christmas movies, many of which are hilariously bad. And yeah. so when you came back with with Home Alone this year, I was like, ooh. Now, is this Matt <laughs> subtly throwing shade, committing millennial social suicide and, uh, and, and dissing our beloved Home Alone? Or are we going on a yeah. new tack? Um, so I, I'm pretty sure if you're saying you've watched it pretty much every Christmas since it was released, I'm pretty sure I know what your take on the film is going to be <laughs> in terms of whether it's good or bad. But um, I love this, the, the excuse to watch this again because I actually hadn't seen it for, for years. This, oh, this could be interesting then. <laughs> sort of, after a long time returns t- returning take on it um, so, well yeah, I can I, I mean spoil, spoilers but I can say that I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Scrooge a few years ago I feel like that's something <laughs> I should say up front <laughs> yeah okay so home alone, we're going to take you through it and then we're going to do a little bit of a sum up at the end and read a couple of reviews from around the internet as well always, uh, always fun so 
Home Alone. What, when, would, when did you first see it then? So you have seen it before, it's just not for a while. Oh, yeah, 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 no, very much. Um, first time I saw it was... Um, actually, do you know, I can't remember. I do know that I watched Home Alone 2 before I watched Home Alone 1. Um, <laughs> right. Because, so I was a bit too young to go and see Home Alone 1 in the cinema. Um, yeah. And so, and that was that was when I was like six, I think, that it came out. And so Home Alone 2 came out when I was eight. And I have never laughed as much in a cinema as I did at that film. Like, it just hit at exactly <laughs> the right moment. For both me yeah. and my younger brother were just helpless with mirth. Just absolutely, mm. like, like cinematic high watermark of, like, you remember this stuff. And and I actually haven't watched that one since, and I'm rather afraid that it's going to turn out to be rubbish if we if we do it again, maybe next year. But <laughs> this one I came back to having kind of already kind of knowing the joke, and and then watching this again when I was about I don't know ten or eleven or something whenever they put it on TV. Um, yeah. So um, it's got it's got interesting memories of like the kind of it feels almost a purer version of the one that I fell in love with at the cinema. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. Did you see it at the cinema when it came out? No, no, no. I'm very much the same. So I saw the I saw number two at the cinema, but I'm pretty sure I saw number one either on video on VHS or uh, or just on on TV over the Christmas. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's got that extra tint of nostalgia with that as well, I suppose. Um, very much. So it, I do. I was. I do remember actually. We had it on on VHS, like a dodgy recording off the telly. Because I think we had a base. All of our movie it, reviews involve you having a dodgy VHS <laughs> copy of the film. This is we should say this is this is we, we, we neither condone nor nor condemn obviously any any such copying and, and so on. Uh, merely a social history of what it's like to be our age and a film fan is that that is how I yeah. encountered ninety percent of the films that I look back with in fondness as a child were in like massively stretched and distorted videotapes from a TV recording that took place before I was born. Yeah, we've got... Yeah, so my memories of watching it is you'd rewind the tape, you'd rewind it right to the beginning and you'd get about a minute of Coronation Street and then it'd begin. (laughs) 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 Oh, and it's one of those videos where you knew the ads from the ad breaks as well as you knew the film because you just watch it all so many times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Home Alone Begins. And we start in this massive house, which is all sort of hell's breaking loose. Um, there's a massive family getting ready to go away on a trip. And um, you sort of immediately plunged into the chaos of it all. And there's this one cop who's there trying to sort of get someone to speak to him about um, security over over Christmas. Now, um, there was a tweet that did really well this year, which someone, I assume taking the piss, has gone, this is going to blow your mind. The guy playing the cop at the start of Home Alone <laughs> is the same guy who robs the house later on. <laughs> oh, oh. I love I love Christmas when everybody just cracks out cracks out the corniest stuff they've got on Twitter. There's no no sense of reaching for the really good material. There's just where's the bottom of the barrel? Scrape it. It's got booze on it. It's yeah. Christmas time. I, the, the funny thing about that was the um just the extent of which um like the number of people sort of fallen over themselves to call this guy a moron when he was clearly, oh. like, doing it to set oh. them up to accidentally call someone oh, a moron. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Goodness yeah. me. No, I, I mean, that was even... that. I mean, 
as I say, that's a twist that I came to sort of backwards because I saw the second film before the first one, so I knew that this guy was a bad guy. Um, and so when I watched this first one through, I was like, what's he doing there pretending to be a policeman? And it took me like five minutes to work out what he was doing like in the plot. I was just like, that's, that's really weird. Why is he... Oh! <gasps> overwhelmed by the kind of criminal mastermind at play. Oh, yeah. So we, we meet Kevin for the first time as well. He's wandering around the house, basically being ignored by everybody, um, trying to catch the attention of people. I think he he is sort of he's a little bit little bit naughty that like he's doing stuff that like he's getting in the way. But I think mm. he's getting in the way just to try and get someone to pay attention to him. <laughs> yeah. and everyone's just far too busy. There's that, there's that classic line which I loved when I was a kid, and which now as somebody with children himself, I'm like my children must never watch this film. Was uh, was where he lies down on the bed. And his mum says, Kevin, don't lie on the bed. And his response is, get off the phone and make me, why don't you? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's really funny and completely adorable. And I understand why Macaulay Culkin made so much money as a child star. And if my children ever speak to me that way, they're looking at the business end of absolutely no dessert for a week. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's why you little... <laughs> he gets uh, he gets told to pack his suitcase, and this creates a sudden level of panic. And it, 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 he's like, "Pack my suitcase." He's asking <laughs> he's asking all his like cousins and brothers and sisters whether like, how he, what he's supposed to do, and none yeah. of them want to help him. <laughs> and there's this one little girl who says, "You what the French call les incompetents," <laughs> which um, which it took me a long time to, to sort of discover what that meant. <laughs> so I was just like, I wonder what that means. And I never followed it up until it's like in secondary so, school. <laughs> oh, that's really... I mean, did you, so you honestly believed that you'd been kind of outmaneuvered French vocabulary-wise by a fictional American 11-year-old? Yeah. I, I mean, you underestimate yourself, Matt. I, I really think... I think you probably have more in it. Although I'll say that for a long time, I didn't get what that joke was either. You're what the French call les incompetents. And she's the one that's supposed to be sort of being vaguely nice to him. <laughs> yeah. Dude, bananas. That's Everybody else is just like, fuck off, kid, you bother me. And <laughs> and she's at least holding a conversation with him, even though she ends it by going, also, you're useless and pointless. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I think my favourite one um, in this sort of whole section, there are two really great insults that get sent to, to Kevin's way. One for creativity and one for just sheer meanness. The creativity <laughs> one is when Buzz calls him Flemwad. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't understand how the kid who plays Gus has like had a career after this because he nailed that character so horribly perfectly and so hatedly <laughs> that you wouldn't want to watch him in anything else. <laughs> And the other one is um, this ginger kid who says, Kevin, you're such a disease. Oh, goodness. <laughs> such oh. a disease. Now, I have a difficult position here because this is clearly, this whole scene is, you know, we're sympathising with the younger sibling here. And, and the thing is, I am an older sibling. So, like, <laughs> this time through particularly, it brought me so, like, kind of close-ish to a sort of little moment of clarity on myself. Because I'm like... Shit, was I like this as a child towards my younger sibling? <laughs> like that's that's awful. <laughs> yeah, Kevin decides it's awful. He, he sort of in the middle of all this, he starts jumping up and down on the um, on the landing. He's shouting, um, "When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone." <laughs> it's bad news for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's such great like 
like line writing for kids because there's a yeah. lot of shit that Kevin McAllister does in this film which are have as much relationship to the behavior of an actual 9-year-old as they do to like orbital dynamics of the rings of Saturn but that line I can absolutely hear a 9-year-old saying that and and yeah. really meaning it as well really being like that's how they choose to express their rage <laughs> when I grow up and get married I'm living alone and then everybody in the house has to not laugh yeah, I think part of the success of Home Alone is that it's so ridiculous later on, but the the start of it, a lot of what they what happens amongst the family is grounded in like you you can recognise it. It's quite well observed how like yeah. a large family interacts with each other, especially the brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um there's this bit where Kevin goes into Buzz's room because he doesn't want to sleep on the third floor with um with his with his other cousin Fuller because he wets the bed <laughs> and asks if he can sleep in in his older brother's room, and, he, and Buzz says, I wouldn't let you sleep in here if you were growing on my ass," uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is, again, just a needlessly mean but hilarious thing to say, and something I could imagine, like, siblings saying to each other casually. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and obviously it makes all the stuff that happens later when Kevin raids the sort of nine-year-old's treasure trove that is a 13-year-old's secret things... Um, makes mm. it all the sweeter, all of that raiding that goes on later on. Yeah. Um, he also takes the opportunity, Buzz, here to, to wind Kevin up um, with the story of old man Marley, because there's this old chap outside um, salting, the, salting the sidewalk, as he says. Yeah. And he makes up this whole story of how he's, 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 a, he's a mass murderer and he hides the bodies in the salt and it turns <laughs> them into mummies. <laughs> And again, I, I bought it when I was a kid. Now I'm looking at it going, you wouldn't even get half a person in there. And it, <laughs> I find it very sad, right, that this macabre moment in this kid's movie has brought me closer than I would otherwise like to genuinely considering the practicalities of mummifying recently murdered people. Like, <laughs> that's my journey away from home alone, is, you know, I, just, you know, I start with a slapstick, end with, no, come on, if you're going to be a serial killer, you've got to do it completely differently. <laughs> I'm in need of a Christmas yeah. break, Matt, is what I'm saying here. I love the way he delivers the line, he walks up and down the road salting the sidewalk in su- with such great menace. It's a really great job that like, this kid does. He's like, yeah. He walks up and down salting the sidewalk. <laughs> Which is like, it's about as mundane as saying, like, he, he goes into the kitchen and makes a cup of tea. He's yeah, just doing something normal, but it sounds really sinister. That's incredible. <laughs> he, he walks out of his house at the start of the day, call it. 8.15 for 8.30 and catches the bus to go to work. <laughs> Every day. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> On the way home, some light groceries. Come with me to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's, um, so, so that's sort of as a bit of setup for later on as well. But then go down into the kitchen and... Um, Buzz eats all of the margarita pizza, which is the only type of pizza that Kevin will eat, which I always consider a bit strange, but we'll let it go. Absolutely. Well, no, again, my younger brother was quite a fussy eater, so I was bang alongside that. (laughs) But but again, so... So, and this is a theme that I think we're going to come back to throughout this podcast, right, is the extent to which Home Alone is a complete fantasy world. Yeah. And not just the fact that you can hit people in the face with a blowtorch and, you know, it's not grievous bodily harm. Um, but also uh, the fact that if I'd have tried that shit in my household, 
I goodness me, the rollicking I would have been due for. If there was one pizza that my <laughs> the only pizza my brother would eat, and I purposefully eaten it all before he got to the table, no matter how many people there were in the house, that would have been the end of days. And quite <laughs> rightly. <laughs> Yeah, Buzz gets away with far too much, doesn't he? Here he does. He d- I noticed the bit where he's like sort of got that thing where um, the um, the dad Peter, when they're all going in for pizza, he's like Peter has this like half conversation with the cop who's trying to take responsibility for the security of his house, and Buzz <laughs> comes downstairs and does this kind of like man to man tap on the back of the shoulder. Come on, Dad, good old boy, come on. <laughs> and the dad's going for it. Like this is a man who is absolutely definitely gonna buy buzz the mercedes that he asks for and shouldn't when he's 17 years old and buy him yeah. a second one when he wraps that around a lamppost on the first night do you know what i mean that is absolutely how this guy's fathering style is going down if i'm jolly yeah. enough and smile enough i can just get through anything who wants a beer <laughs> it's always a source of mystery to me exactly what job Kevin's dad does because they are yeah. see they seem to be fabulously wealthy like the house is enormous and then the the year after like when they go to New York they they, they seem like a very well off family I'm not sure yeah. what it, sort of what job it is he does or anything. it's never mentioned it's just sort of taken as given that yeah these these guys are really well off which is but, another reason why it's quite an achievement to make it so relatable yes I, I mean obviously that's very very true um and, and I, whatever it is that Peter does, clearly his brother Frank does not do the same thing, or does, and is an unbelievable tight ass about it. He's the he's the guy trying to steal the Crystal Cruet set on the first class from the plane. Um, I love that, by the way, Crystal Cruet set, one for every seat. Um, but, um, but yeah, it is a bit curious, and this actually this this. this Gives me reason for a slight detour, if you'll uh, if you'll um, I- indulge me. Um, so, I I work for charities abroad, and that means that I meet all sorts of very very strange people. And I I have actually had cause to be friends with um, a, a family with many children, whose source of income was not wholly clear, and whose professional standing was, let us say, a touch opaque. Um, and. I'm pretty convinced that the dad of this family was a secret agent. That he was, he was like, because he was, I mean, there was some good money, but you ever asked him what he did? He was like Olympic standard at getting you talking about the football inside 30 seconds after asking the question. It was just, just, just unbelievably good. So, theory, theory, here it is. Peter McAllister is a spook. He is a secret agent. He is on... <laughs> On Mr. President's Secret Service, and that involves going to Paris first class for some reason with all of his children. I'm not, I, I haven't filled in the gaps, but that's the theory, and I'm going with it. See, I have a different theory, and it's based entirely upon one feature of the house, and it's the fact that there's a M on the uh, on the doorknob of the of the front door it makes me think he's a gangster. <laughs> it's just the kind of thing a gangster. It's such a gangster move, isn't it? That's incredible. And it is. I mean, it's set in Chicago. Mm? Yeah. Mm? Like, is he a descendant of Al Capone? Do you think? Is this mm. where Al Capone's vault was? Because I noticed that their house, and we'll see this later on, because there's a bit where he runs through the neighbor's house much much later on, right? Yeah. And that house is. A much smaller and less impressive dwelling, but it's on the same <laughs> street. Like, yeah. leading me well. to sort of conclude that maybe all the houses around here are normal, 
And Peter McAllister has just somehow mysteriously come into a phenomenal fortune and built this unbelievable <laughs> this mansion. <laughs> just like, and everybody's so frightened that they're not mentioning it. And everybody else in the community is like, no, it's perfectly normal. I mean, when he moved in, it was the same sort of two up, two down as the rest of us have. But now, I, bloody hell, he's got all sorts in there. Here's a, here's a slightly darker theory um, that he is actually the character in The Sopranos that the same actor plays in series one. Is of the he Sopranos, actually in The Sopranos? He's in The Sopranos. Is, is a, is a yes. dirty, is a cop that's on the take from Tony Ooh. Soprano. And um, he ends, well, spoilers, he ends up, uh, he ends up killing himself. And he's like, he has a really bad time of it. And yeah, he's a bit of a pathetic character. And there is a, I suppose, a dark, Dark theory you can have that he's currently it's, enjoying the good times of being a dirty cop. And that's uh, in, that's in Chicago he while he shakes down a group of mobsters from New Jersey, right? That the, yeah, and he's, he's not he's not sort of of keeping his, yeah he's not keeping his suspicious wealth particularly. Well him, <laughs> no, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just flying out to New Jersey where he kind of maintains a studiously non-corrupt looking lifestyle and all the wealth is stashed back in Chicago because he's married to Catherine O'Hara. And, you know, you've got to show a lady that fantastic a good time. But um, (laughs) but slight crush on Catherine O'Hara, I don't mind telling you. Um, But um, (laughs) I like... What if it's something different, though? What if it's not like a a prohibitively cumbersome five-hour commute by plane to go and extort money out of the mob in in, um, Highlands, New Jersey? What if, instead of that, this is a sort of overloaded moment of clarity immediately before death. Here's what it could have been, Peter, if only you hadn't been such a dirty cop. What if it's Jeez. that? Yeah. So, so, so now it's sort of, it's, it, this is all taking place inside his head as he's committing suicide in The yeah. Sopranos. It, it's a wonderful life, <laughs> and this is what two minutes dreamed. too late, is it, he's, left his, he's left his kid home alone. <laughs> That's the dream. That's as good as it could have got for you. So really, probably it was a decent decision because you're the sort of father that would do this and be astonishingly uh, debonair about it when you come back off the holiday, which we'll come to at the end, by the way. This guy's response to re-encountering his previously lost son is astonishingly casual. (laughs) But we'll get there. We'll get there. Can we just give a quick shout out to my favourite cameo appearance in in the film, which is Fuller? Um, his li- his little cousin, who um, who the only character trait is he's got well he's got two character traits he's got big glasses and he drinks Pepsi and wets the bed and there's <laughs> this, this moment here in the kitchen where they go full of go easy on the Pepsi and he does this big grin and takes a massive swig of it. He's like I love that they cast. Uh, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother in that role as well, Kieran Culkin, yeah. who's the yeah. only member of that acting dynasty who actually still has an acting career. Um, yeah. And and I love that his 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 whole shtick in this is to be even muter and like even more quietly adorable than Kevin is. Like he's like yeah. the kind of he's like the Muppet Babies version of Kevin. Like there should have been a spin-off starring Fuller McAllister. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's this this fight in the kitchen in which Fuller gets squished against the wall. With a <laughs> Um, and it, it all, all sort of, yeah, it, it all stems from Kevin losing his temper because Buzz is eating all his pizza, and um, and then he gets sent to bed. And as he's been as he's been sent up, um, Peter's Peter's dad 
Oh no, it's the mum. The mum meant uh, as a word with the with the cop. Finally, and says, "Oh yeah, mm. we're off to Paris for the for, for the for Christmas," and uh, and this cop's like, "Don't worry, your house is in good hands." <laughs> Interesting. It, well, no, I thought you were going to do the ding on the gold tooth because that gold tooth <laughs> carries a lot of plot, a lot of plot. Yeah. So uh, Kevin gets sent up to the third floor and says that he wishes his family um, weren't weren't there. He wishes he doesn't want to ever see any of them again. Um, that's I mean that's so. not that's not unreasonable. I feel like this is the moment. It's not to unreasonable. Talk <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. It's fair enough. Well, given what his family have been like, they have been set up as a, like a magnificently self-centered bunch of assholes over the course of this 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 opening, like. Even his mum is so frazzled she's forgotten to notice that he doesn't have any clothes packed for their transatlantic flight tomorrow. Mm. And as we see, that's something of just merely an aperitif for her, warming <laughs> up in, in terms of neglectful parenting. But um, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, particularly, I want to talk about Uncle Frank, who is just, like, he's such a dick. He is such a dick, because before we even get to the crystal thing that he wants to steal from the plane... He takes a hundred and something dollars worth of pizza off of the pizza boy and then goes, oh, yeah, my brother will pick it up. I want to know who the older and the younger brother is there, by the way. But also, um, but also, like, he gets some drinks spilled over him and he yells at Kevin with enough vitriol to silence a room full of 11 children who are all yelling about pizza and hyperactive on Pepsi and excited about going to France tomorrow right and he just and like he just tears him out and nobody goes frank he's 9 i'm sorry about your trousers frank but i don't think that was called for please leave <laughs> Like nobody calls him out on it, and that's just yeah. that's just astounding to me. Like of all the of all the things, like I would tell you that I think accidentally leaving a child behind on your way to a transatlantic flight is pretty neglectful. But actually, in the shit parenting stakes, Uncle Frank is so far out in front that everybody else looks like a paragon of parental virtue. <laughs> um, we then have this act of God. Right? Okay, now. Here we go. Mm. The, the film sets itself quite the challenge, and it does its best to pull it off in trying to work mm. out how this family leaves a child at home and doesn't notice. <laughs> so we have this <laughs> whole setup where the um, basically, I mean, in in the second one, it's it's a bit more realistic where they accidentally unplug the alarm clock. This time, there's a power cut on the street. The mm. alarm, the one alarm that the entire house is. <laughs> This house Reset. containing 26 <laughs> relatives. One alarm. Should we set two alarm clocks? There's no need to set two alarms. You're always over-planning these things. Don't worry about it. One alarm clock yeah. will be fine. I, I can completely imagine how Frank would just leave this in the hands of his brother, though. This is so yeah. lazy. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, yeah, yeah so, so that means that they're rushing about late trying to get at the house. This little kid from across the street wanders over and gets counted as part of the party in the only head count they do. They <laughs> yeah, the one time, only one head count. Where's the mistake? <laughs> they rush to the airport, get on the plane just in time. Um, they don't check the tickets. 
And then, <laughs> then one of my favourite bits, and you've already alluded to this, one of my favourite reasons they don't realise is because the four adults are all riding in first class and they've stuck all the kids <laughs> in the back and haven't even bothered to check if they're all sitting down. Just yeah. like, I assume they've got just, to the gate and then they've just moved into the first class area and just yeah. left the kids to wander yeah. off into, kids, into you were, coach like, on now, now, here is the thing. There were two responses that my wife and I had to watching this. We are very small children. We were watching this together, and that moment we were like, that is science fiction. We've recently flown, done a long flight with our children, and it was it was as good as it possibly could have been, and it was hell, right? And and that's just par for the course. You plan for that. You, you know it's going to be one of the worst days of your life, and you just roll with it. And... Um, and, and then we get in here and they're all sitting down, you know, immediately, before even sitting down looking for the free champagne and stuff. And I'm like, guys, it's not you that needs the alcohol, all right? Send it back to the parents in the back of the plane who are dealing with the situation of sitting next to your clearly indisciplined and poorly managed gaggle of children. This horde <laughs> of McAllisters who are clearly complete shits. As they should be, they are teenagers. And just leaving that to be somebody else's problem on the plane was just completely <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? That, yeah. that all hell isn't breaking loose behind them. Exactly. Well, it might be, but they wouldn't know because they're behind the magic rich man's curtain. So it's somebody else's problem back there. I, you may gather here that on my re- previously alluded to recent uh, trans, uh, transcontinental flight, um, there were... Uh, there, there were troubles in the cabin and they were nothing to do with me and I'd be willing to bet there were some parents in fucking first class stealing the crew a set and drinking the free champagne and leaving us to deal with the problems <laughs> bastards Matthew. yeah well and you, you mentioned here this is where Frank tries to steal the uh, the crystal um, the crystal cutlery and then um <laughs> We, we sort of cut back and forth now with, with Kevin, who wakes up, wanders around the house, realises he's been left on his own, and then decides it's the greatest thing ever because this is what he wished for. So yep. he thinks his family he thinks he's actually wished his family out of existence. <laughs> and he's perfectly comfortable <laughs> with the idea. Like he does <laughs> like he's completely fine with it. Again but then again, what do you expect? What do you expect? of the neglected younger son of a frequently absent corrupt cop. What well, do you I mean quite. you know this is about as good as you can hope for I think. Yeah. So he goes through his brother's stuff, um finds his air gun and starts making, messing about with that. Doesn't take <laughs> Just, such a dark turn. Is right. Yeah. <laughs> of all the places you that one could have gone with that. It's a little bit like, isn't it? And this is not wholly funny it's a little bit like the fact that when we watch scrooge there's a whole set piece at the beginning with a plane blowing up and you're like oh yeah wouldn't make that these days and like setting a set piece like making a major plot point a nine-year-old loose in his parents house with an unsupervised shotgun that is probably not a plot point that you would choose you'd do something else mm-hmm. i mean i know it's a pellet gun right but still <laughs> He stuffs his face with that, that marshmallows and ice cream, watches this great film, which I always wondered whether it was real, but it's not. It's, it's been like a spoof made especially for the film. It's called Angels with Dirty Faces. And this is the one where uh, they got this guy, it's a gangster film, and this guy shows up, like, you got the money? Snake sent me. It's like, ah, oh, I got you. How much, how much do I owe you? It's like, AC said 10%. <laughs> Too bad AC ain't is around that, anymore. Is that right? <laughs> 
it's just this is this is one of my favorite bits of the film is the little film within the film here yeah absolutely it's i i found out though i looked at this this time because i enjoyed it so much as well and it's such an achievement to make me love love a pastiche of a genre i didn't grow up watching right Mm. um but i just I, i i just love that little scene so much i found out it is actually it is a pastiche of an actual film which they right. used in the second one. Because apparently the first one they made on like zero dollars. There was no money in it at all. In the second yeah. one, they had a massive budget for it. And so they actually licensed the film itself. So in the second one, there's an outtake from a film that looks very, very similar called Angels with Filthy Souls. Yeah. And, um, and it's the actual film that Angels with Dirty Faces is riffing on in the first one. And I now really? want to watch them. Yeah, it exists. There's an actual gangster film that contains dialogue like that. Like, it was a very, very <laughs> close pastiche. So now I want to watch they- them back to back. Because that's a great triple bill, isn't it? Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, <laughs> sod Home Alone 3 and the rest, Angels with <laughs> Filthy Souls. That's what you've got to watch. But that, that so it's, but it's not actually a clip from the film. No, no, not in this one. This one is a pastiche. Because they but, wrote but their the own one, pastiche of the film. Because the, the second yeah. one, it's the same guy. Um... The same guy who shoots. Is it really? Bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So I thought surely that's a like a. a joke I mean, as well. if it's not, that's a know. great bit of casting to go and find the guys <laughs> to do it for a picture in picture. Oh, oh, I really want that to be true, but now I'm a bit sad that it might not be. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it is, but you never, you never know. We, we could know. We could research. We could look at um, Matt. Matt, listen, we've been doing this podcast for a while. There are some traditions you can't break. <laughs> and the the classic is that true? We will never know. We will That's never know. He said, right sitting in front of a machine that literally gives him <laughs> access to the whole sum of human knowledge from the start of sentient thought till today. I've no idea. I haven't a clue. I'm not looking it up. <laughs> anyway, this is the moment where um, his mum finally remembers that Kevin isn't on the plane. Um, and that's they, they go through all the things that they thought they might have forgotten at first, including not setting the I think video recorder and not closing up the garage, and then they realise oh yeah, and they left a nine year old son at home. Um, <laughs> I love the, I love that when she's going through the list of things that could have gone wrong, she gets to the garage first. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin's sledging down the stairs, which I always thought was just. If if I had a house with, uh, well, I did. Uh, what one of the ho- the house I grew up in um, had stairs that faced the door. I never quite <laughs> sort of plucked up the. It wasn't quite the stairs didn't direct because I did. I, I do remember looking at our stairs and thinking, "Can I do this myself?" <laughs> and the the stairs didn't quite line up. They sort of the stairs ended. There was a wall, and the door was just next to it. So I'd have had to steer through, and I never really quite worked. Had an idea how to do that, so I didn't try this at home. I wouldn't recommend I mean, it to I th- anyone else. I think I think that sounds some pretty solid decision making on your parents' part. They will never know how lucky they were to have decided to buy a house on the off chance where the front door and the stairs were not perfectly aligned for launch purposes. <laughs> yeah, um, we also are reintroduced to the cop um, in his new. His new sort of his true form, if you like, with his uh, with his goofy mate, and it's these uh, these two criminals. This moment where basically to explain what the guy's been doing as an undercover cop, he says, "I know exactly what time all the houses' lights are going to turn on because he got them on time timers," and he points to each one, and the lights come on. Now, when I was little, I didn't quite get that connection. I just thought he had some kind of machine 
in the car. It was turning was the, lights the lights on. on. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just to show how he'd got control of all the houses, so he could he could rob them easily. Which I suppose oh. is is true broadly. He does have the yeah. control, just not specifically physically through a machine of of the lights. Imagine that you've gone to quite a lot of trouble to get control over the lights. Was that really the thing you should have prioritised here? Yeah. When, for example, are they coming back? I've not got a clue. I just asked them about the lights timers. Anyway, press it again. Look, I can turn them off. <laughs> um, they plan to. They're going to knock over Kevin's house now, but um, they do the little crowbars up and do a little cheers with the crowbars, <laughs> and then they they head over to the house. But Kevin's in, and he runs around, switches all the lights on, and scares them away. First that's some pretty good. That's some pretty good tactical thinking on Kevin's part. Not the last time in this film we're going to see Kevin really crack it out. This kid, mm. this kid's got a future. If he doesn't turn into a corrupt cop, he's got a, he's got a future in the military. I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They get to the they get to France, the parents, and they ring the police. Obviously, back in back in Chicago. They are the most sort of clinically out to lunch police officers. <laughs> I'm already celebrating Christmas. So bored. Passing, they keep they pass them and back and forth between family crisis and just like general cops. The family crisis one's great because he just goes through a pre-prepared questionnaire of like things that may have happened to him, and when she says no, she says, "Oh, not my problem." Sends it yeah. back. <laughs> I love that. I also love, big shout out for the fact that the completely useless guy out of the two of them, there's a guy and a woman, um, the completely useless guy is played by the man who played Mr. Heckles in um, in, uh, in, in Friends and subsequently appeared in the Breaking Bad movies. That is a hell of a career right there. (laughs) Friends, Breaking Bad and Home Alone. You'd retire happy, wouldn't you, at the end of that trip? Yeah. They send this beat cop round... He knocks on the door, but Kevin's really scared because he's just seen old man Marley. Yeah, not unreasonably. (laughs) Yeah. So the cop knocks on the door, gets no answer, and just goes, oh, there's no one in. The house is locked up. Time to count the kids again. And that's it. (laughs) The police then wash their hands of it. This is this movie is coming off as a surprisingly harsh indictment of law enforcement, isn't it? Between Peter McAllister, the corrupt cop, and his ill-gotten gains, his ill-gotten mansion, and this cop who, like, what were you expecting to happen? You go and yeah. knock on the door. Hey, I'm another unknown grown-up. How about you let me in and I'll sort it all out for you? Of course he's going to hide. He's lucky that he didn't crack out the, the firepower then and there. My goodness. Yeah, I just love the fact, report of a missing child, and that is the extent, the of, extent their of their involvement. They knock on the door. There's nobody in the house, therefore... That's it. It's all fine. He's, <laughs> he's probably there's nowhere fine. else a missing child there, would be than in his own house. Yeah, if he's in there, he's probably fine. It's, what could go wrong? He's nine, you know. <laughs> well, he's alone by himself. He's nine years. It's the 80s. It's America. Come on. It's not as if there's firearms in there. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. So so that's where we get to with the police. Um, and they say, yeah, Tom, check again. Mum then decides I'm going to, by some way or another, get a flight home. Um, it's busy because it's Christmas, but surely there's got to be a cancellation at some point. So I'm going to wait at the airport. Dad is like, yeah, okay, good for you. I'm off to enjoy my holiday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is pretty breathtaking, isn't it? That, that, that particular scene where he's like, well, we're in Paris. You wouldn't want me to miss out on Paris, would you? <laughs> Come on. Come on. 
that. Okay. Yeah. Fine. We, we then, Kevin, in fact, you know, maybe the cop's right because Kevin's doing quite well on his own. He's, um, doing his uh, sort of bathroom routine. He does the aftershave thing where he, he f- splats his hands on his face and starts screaming because he's never used aftershave before, which suggests he's actually shaved as well because it only yeah. hurts if you've just Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, that would have been a darker version of that scene though, wouldn't it? Watching him like <laughs> slowly scrape away the peach fuzz because that's, <laughs> as, as, as anyone who has learned to shave a face knows, the first time does not go well. It, my yeah. goodness, it does not go well. My year nine school photo, I with with flawless tactical decision making, I decided to try and shave an, an incipient moustache on the day <laughs> of that. So I've got this massive cut on my upper lip for that particular photo. <laughs> it's it, it, it is it, awful. Um, I, I wonder, like, but I but it was very confusing for me this scene because my dad had a beard when I was growing up, so I literally never saw anybody use aftershave. So I was like, right. "What the hell is he doing? Slapping himself in the face? What? What? <laughs> why is he doing this?" Yeah, yeah, it is one of those jokes that's really there for the adults, isn't it? Because yeah, I had no idea. My dad did shave, and I had no idea yeah. that aftershave hurts if you splash it on your face after you'd um, just had a shave. Right. Um, yeah. He goes out on this shopping trip to buy a toothbrush. As a run-in with um, old man Marley again, so runs Ooh. away, um, manages to give the slip to this police officer and um, this store assistant called Jimmy. It's Jimmy, stop him! And this kid just looks up. This, um, this like, fresh-faced, yeah. all-American hero can't outsprint a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I, I do I love this. He's so... Gets- he just get he does it. He runs literally to the the threshold of the shop that employs him. Goes, not my problem anymore. Looks for a policeman and goes, have him, yeah. <laughs> Fattest, oldest cop he can find. As you chase after him, and the cop does it as well. <laughs> Absolutely top marks to that particular cop. Rather than going, what's he had? Is it bar of soap? Fine, I don't care. Yeah. You know, oh, he stole a toothpaste, a toothbrush. I'm heartbroken for you. But I do like this. this is a great example of from this era of Hollywood filmmaking. It was apparently a sort of orthodoxy in amongst Hollywood producers that if you didn't have an action beat every ten pages, so every ten minutes of the film, people would lose, stop paying attention, and lose interest in the film. And so they would. And one of the things I noticed about this film is that it spends a long time setting up the kind of House of Fun thing sequence. Um, which is yeah. what everybody remembers about the film, and so this is this little thing with the running across the ice and that, and chasing and sliding and all that sort of thing. Um, it all it just is so clearly the producer going it needs to be interesting here, do something interesting here, and they're like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> ice running, sliding, you know, hockey, that'll do. It's fine. It's for kids, <laughs> you know, and and like all the way through this film, they were so clearly working really hard to justify the fact that they were making everybody wait an hour before the action sequence started. Yeah, I do like the the moment where he escapes and he's walking home with his toothbrush all fed up, and he just says, "I'm a fugitive." <laughs> <laughs> and again, again, where's he learn that language from, Matt? Mm, mm, mm. Dirty Peter McAllister. <laughs> Um, so we have that, and we skip to back to the thieves who are currently robbing a different house. I think they're robbing the house of the poor little kid across the street who was um, so starved of attention that he wandered over to um, to speak to the to speak to the the people picking the, the McAllisters up 
um, on the morning. That's a good little moment that we skipped over actually, where he's sort of he's just constantly asking questions of the uh, of the taxi drivers, and he's sort of there's this bit where he like cuts back to him and the. Um, the driver's just in the in the driving seat and he's next to him going, does this all have any transition? Does this all have any brakes? That little performance from that kid is amazing. And particularly because it reminded me now of something which it could not have reminded me of at the time because I hadn't seen the films because my parents are responsible people. Um, have you ever seen any of the Jay and Silent Bob movies? Yeah. Like Dogma and Clerks and, and Chasing Amy and that. That is a young Jason Mewes, if ever I saw it. Sort of monotonic, <laughs> kind of like, I've got lots of things to say. I'm not really paying attention to what you're saying. I've got this to say. This is amazing. It's like Jason <laughs> Mewes before he learned to swear, which which I concede is really quite young. But um, yeah. but, it, but it was brilliant. I really felt like I was watching kind of a young Jay before he's found Silent Bob. Yeah. <laughs> that was sort of the origin story. Oh, it wouldn't it be wonderful? Again, I noticed they're from New Jersey as well, eh? Hey, hey? Mm-hmm. all of this, yeah. Matt. All of this, it fits. It all fits. <laughs> Head cannon. Head cannon. Um, there's, a, there's, I think this is the part of the the film. It just slow down a little bit. There's a few things we can probably rattle through. So he, he has a, he had, Kevin has a running. His first running with the with the um, with the robbers and recognizes. Uh, Joe Pesci, because not because he's a Joe Pesci, because he's got the um, gold tooth, mm. and he gives him the slip by hiding in the nativity thing at the at the, at the church. Yeah. And there's also a little bit with the uh, the family in Paris, where they're sitting watching an old black and white film in French. It, it that that's actually it's a wonderful life, and I never noticed that until yeah, this yeah. year because yeah. I've just seen it the day before. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same for me when I was young. I was like, why is this supposed to be notable? Um, like I, I, I actually remember what it looks like the guy dubbing Jimmy Stewart saying no about something but he's saying it in yeah. French so what he goes is no 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 oh, no and that <laughs> entered my personal vocabulary for a little while after watching this film for the first time oh no no oh, no um, but yeah I, I love these little call outs that are just so far over the heads of the target market it's great yeah um, Kevin secures himself a free pizza sort of so- Obviously, he's got some sort of the of the Frank genes here. Um, he sets up the <laughs> angel with dirty faces and uh, gets the poor pizza guy to uh, think there's a think there's oh, a gunfight going on. There's a couple of times he does this again later on with Marv, and at least at yeah. that point he has firecrackers that he sets off by the door to make it slightly more realistic. But I'm always it always makes me laugh how this this ever works. <laughs> Just to get the sound of the TV is so loud that it sounds like it's happening in real life. That's, that was a great, this is a great example of the sort of thing that these films do, where when I was nine, I wanted to believe. It was just the best, it's just plausible <laughs> enough that a nine-year-old is like, oh, if I was good enough with a remote control, I could have people take me seriously and fall over the bins. This is amazing. <laughs> the practicalities do not lend themselves to it, but but it was very exciting for the while that I believed it could happen. Um, there's there's a bit of back at the airport and mum's trying to desperately get on a plane home and she's offering this old lady all manner of special extra goods to get her on. She's like, two first class tickets and some earrings and a watch and this, that and the other. And this woman's like, mm, maybe, okay. Bloody hell. Come on, Herb. Come, come, <laughs> come, come, come and let her on. And I love how she immediately, the, the first thing she does is go to 
let me give you this stuff rather than here's what's happened please my help. nine-year-old is yeah <laughs> please yeah help. and i love like the, oh goodness the husband's response once again now that i am married that thing where his response to a, like this this complete back and forth that his wife is clearly very invested in is how can i shut this shit down as quickly as possible possible places to be so his, his response is she has lots of earrings dangly ones we're fine thanks very <laughs> <laughs> like all the husbands in the house standing up applauding that guy like what are you doing we have to go home please stop now never mind never mind that that would be a wholly heartless and cruel thing for that man to actually follow through with this is a mother trying to get through to her kids but he doesn't know that all he knows is he's mad woman trying to trade her earrings for plane tickets <laughs> madam those had better be some spectacular plane t- earrings you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, she eventually just pleads, um, with, and this sort of woman looks at her husband and says, come on, can, can we just do her a favour? And I, I like to think that after the sort of scene ends, the the tickets are exchanged and the older woman just goes, still getting all the free stuff, right? Yep, yeah. okay, pass it over. <laughs> <laughs> this is still a transaction. That's it, isn't it? Oh, it's the most American feel-good scene I've ever seen in my life. Let's be clear, the milk of human kindness doesn't extend until we've made some sort of a deal. That's actually, I should say, actually, that is wholly un, unreflective of my actual many American friends, including those with whom I'm having Christmas tomorrow. But it is a bit Reagan's America, isn't it? That scene. <laughs> uh, back in Chicago, Kevin's getting sad. Um, he's starting to miss his family. Um, he, has a, he has a more successful shopping trip than last time, in that he goes and um, gets a load of stuff, actually pays for it on his dad's credit card. <laughs> oh, no, it's on bu- with Buzz's cash, isn't it? And um, and then he does the... This is really weird, because this I saw this happen in real life two nights ago. What? Um, but he's walking home, Kevin, and his bag's split, and all oh, this stuff falls out. Bad days. But I saw that happen in, at Manchester Piccadilly train station oh, two nights ago. Before, <laughs> just before Christmas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, obviously something fell out. It must have been, it was some kind of booze because it, it smashed on the floor and this guy did the full onto his knees, hands on his knees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Manchester. Deary me. But the, the best thing about it was this was the, the latter stages of my stag. I was three sheets to the window. <laughs> so I thought it was the funny, funniest thing I'd ever seen. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh glorious yeah. oh glo- and, and I think like we can all feel his pain there um, <laughs> the only thing it could have only been better if it had like shaken his fists and just done the whole no <laughs> <laughs> the whole and the thing is that it, only in Manchester but I could kind of believe everybody in the entire station going oh we're going to start moving a bit more slowly and then the guy on the station intercom just fades up Barber's Adagio for strings, and it all goes a bit platoon. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> one, one person did go, oh, mate. <laughs> that, that was the only <laughs> Anywhere else in the country, Matt, all you get is an ironic round of applause. But some in Manchester, there's always somebody willing to sympathise with you losing your booze. <laughs> yeah. Uh so we have we have the the second part of as we said as I mentioned um Angels with Dirty Faces seeing off uh, someone arriving at the house and that Marv comes up and um thinks thinks a hit's been taken out in the house. <laughs> it's like, I him. heard about this McAllister guy. I knew we shouldn't <laughs> knock this house over. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, m- the mum gets back to, to America, but she's at the wrong airport because she's having to sort of hop around trying to get closer and closer, mm. um, which, again, never really... I never could be growing up in the UK. I never really got the size of America. Yeah, yeah. So I used to... I, I find it very strange. I just assumed as soon as she got on a flight home... That was it. Yeah, you know, you're basically she's home. Be a like, close drive. Yeah, the very least. Yeah, exactly. Like a couple of hours in a car, and you're going to be fine. But yeah. it could be a continent yeah. away. Yeah. She gets just about close enough to do it in in a car, and then um, John Candy comes to the rescue and says, um, "Oh, we're off to. Uh, we, 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 we can give you. We can, you can hitch a ride with us." And she ends up in this van with this this band, um, getting taken to Chicago. I did think it's strange as I was when I was older watching this. That um, renting a car herself wasn't an option. She was just like desperate, stuck yeah. in the airport, and then someone says, "I'll give you a lift." She's like, oh, "Thank God!" Oh, wonderful! But, like secret option number three: rent a car. Rent yourself. a car for Never yourself. Sort of I know that's got the. If she's been awake for as long as I think she has, though, if she turned right back around and got on the plane and spent the time worrying, that that would that would lend the third act of this film a fairly dark mien because she'd end up crashing into a snowdrift somewhere on a deserted motorway. Like she'd be absolutely exhausted. But I love this thing where they got John Candy to do this role. Like, and I looked at it, this is like three years after Planes, Trains and Automobiles, right? So so this is the Planes, Trains and Automobiles sequence. And Planes, Trains and Automobiles was a John Hughes movie as well. So like, it's this kind of self-referential type thing, which I'm not sure you would have got away with if you hadn't have put John Candy in the role. Um, yeah. John Apparently Can- he did it for free, or, or he did it for like as a favour to the guy who's... Because uh, there's, there's no money in it. He was a massive star at the time. I, I read that he they only had him for, for one day on set, and they shot for 23 hours, because they had so much complicated oh, wow. shit to do. Because you think about it, you've got the sequence where they're playing in the back of the van, you've got to, you know, you've got to do the music number and the drive-in, and the, the, you've got to have a whole airport set set up for him to deliver his lines. And and do yeah. all of that stuff. His lines, which by the way, I, I appreciate so much more now than I did when I was nine years old. The idea of a guy yeah. wanting to be friendly and helpful, but then just getting a little bit self self centered and talking about how many great polka hits he and his band had in the sixties. <laughs> That's like that is gold. Polka twist. Polka yeah, like <laughs> polka polka polka. Pol- no. <laughs> John Candy's appearance in this film as well. John Candy and Catherine O'Hara together allow me to do something yeah. which all families with uh, with sort of Canadian um, heritage, uh, which uh, my wife is Canadian, have to do whenever there's a really successful Hollywood movie uh, who, which has actors in it who are from Canada who make it palpably better than it otherwise would be. You have to yeah. tell everybody in the room that they're Canadian. You just have to. Like, there's no option. Even if everybody in the room is Canadian... And everybody knows you've got to be like John Candy's Canadian, Catherine O'Hara too. Mm-hmm. Actually, like Ryan Reynolds' movies are a constant hazard in our household because we're all just sitting there going, "He's Canadian." I know, it's funny, isn't he? He's really good, Canadian, yeah. yeah, from Canada. You have to do it. So John Candy, whenever he appears, is a kind of it's almost like a drinking game in our house, even if there's no actual drinking around. Yeah, I love um, the uh, the story that John Candy tells as well about the the kid that they left behind and it's like oh you know it was it was it was fine you know he came around after a few months started talking again (laughs) and the thing is that he delivers it with that absolutely perfect like i'm gonna try and make you feel better now and i clearly haven't thought through what's about to come out of my own face (laughs) 
oh, that didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll I'll just go like like I and but it seems to comfort her being in a van full of all these complete losers who have failed their families left, right, and upside down. Yeah. Um, it, that seems to make yeah. her feel better. Yeah. <laughs> who can know? Anyway, as as mum's getting closer, we get into the um, the business end of the film because Harry and Marv have finally worked out that this nine year old is in on his own. <laughs> Third time's um, the charm, lads. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. You've definitely got his number there's now. That... Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> Harry just looks to Marv and goes, "He's home alone." <laughs> <laughs> by the way, and, by uh, the way, there's... did you? F- I just since we haven't touched on this yet. Did you find watching Goodfellas whenever you watched it, which presumably was later in your life than you first watched Home Alone, did you find it really weird to try and take Joe Pesci seriously as a dramatic actor? Yeah, it did take a minute, yeah, simply because your experience, first experience of him is as this comedy character. He's comedic. Yeah. So, like, so in that scene where he's supposed to be terrifying, what, I'm, I'm like a clown, I'm here to amuse you? That one, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the gold tooth to go ting, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I suppose it'd be like your first experience of Arnie being the guy in Jingle All the Way, and then you see him in Terminator. You're like, am I supposed to be frightened of him because he is not frightening? <laughs> Another pervert. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sorry. oh god, <laughs> don't make me revisit all of the laugh lines from that film. We'll never get finished. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Harry and Marv decide right tonight we're going to we're going to do the house with this kid in it. Um, doesn't seem to be at all worried about that. They're just gonna, they're just gonna rob the house and deal with the child somehow. Um, they say, I, I like the thing where Marv goes, "Kids are scared of the dark," and Harry's just like, "You're scared of the dark too." <laughs> <laughs> Marv is a really good, terrible, like character. Like he's really <laughs> pathetic and somehow threatening at the same time, and funny. Yeah. Um, like that performance doesn't get the the the, uh, the props it deserves, I think, because the because it's part of a, a two headed character, the other of whom has won an Oscar. Yeah, but, yeah. Apparently, he wasn't the first. Like when they first started shooting Home Alone, he um, wasn't on the cast. He was swapped in quite late. What Joe Pesci or the um, other guy, sorry. Daniel? No, um, the other guy, the guy who plays Marv. Yeah. Wow, he does it really, really well. Um, but it was an inspired late choice, yeah. late edition, wasn't it? Absol- yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think he has, he's the best at the sort of physical comedy as well. He's really yeah, good at I, taking I a fall, yeah. um, as we'll see later. Yeah. Um, a bit of downtime before the, the battle for the house really gets underway. Um, so Kevin goes to, to Father Christmas to wish for his family back. Finds um, a bit of a like fed up Father Christmas <laughs> um, and who gives it... So I, I think looking back on it, what this like this guy must have thought as this kid runs up to him and says, "I got it. I've got a Christmas wish." He's like, "Okay, what is it? I want. I wish for my family back." Yeah, you just think, oh, <laughs> tragic. Yeah, I know. A like tic tacs. Exactly the way this that scene is played up to that point is quite funny and in quite in that kind of like there's a bit of an edge on it in that kind of eighties John Hughesy type way. Um, but mm. then after he delivers that line, and I'm thinking of it from the Santa's perspective, how does he not just break down crying there? And, <laughs> uh, like, I mean, I suppose his then response to try and give him a couple of Tic Tacs is like, is, is, I, this is all I've got as a way of saying sorry or whatever. Um, yeah. But 
again, in this day and age, that is not how that Santa would respond. I am not giving unlicensed sweets to this child in public in a public place. That's just not the way it's <laughs> going to go because somebody's going to shoot me. <laughs> I love the little beat as well. After Kevin wanders off, yeah. he gets in his car and the car doesn't start. <laughs> he said, just go. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's pretty because you just hear him go, son of a... And it's just, it's it's perfect. <laughs> Um, he also goes to church, Kevin, um, and finally gets this, um, <clears throat> comes to, he finally meets old man Marley properly and they speak about this guy who's, um, you know, the old man who's estranged from his son because they don't speak anymore yeah. and Kevin gives him some words of wisdom and uh, they have the little moment together. I, my favourite bit of this whole bit is where Kevin says that one of his friends was a... Uh, Got beat up at school because a rumor went round that he was wearing dinosaur pajamas. <laughs> that was that was real though. That was one of those John Hughes lines where you're like, yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. That's uh, that's it's the whole. It's the whole Breakfast Club pathos boiled down into a single line delivered by a nine year old. That <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah the the whole thing with the the whole thing with the old guy is sort of it's a bit on the nose a bit contrived but also you can kind of give it a pass i suppose in the in it yeah. at least the film's trying to do something a bit more than just the knockabout slapstick i agree with that mm. i actually find this scene quite moving and i found it quite moving when i was a kid as well um because mm. well it, get, it means that when you're gonna have 20 minutes of unadulterated mayhem there's this moment of like breathing in and regrounding you in the emotional thing in the film which we just don't bother with yeah. the kids films anymore um but um but actually, there's some surprisingly sort of mature stuff, emotionally mature stuff there about how, you know, adults can be frightened too and, you know, who's so intimidating he's afraid to even talk to his own granddaughter, he's not welcome at the service. I will say as well, actually, that I really loved the exchange, the just the bit where he goes, I'm not, I wouldn't be welcome, and Kevin goes, not welcome in church, and the guy goes, no, you're always welcome in church. And there's there's just there's something really there's there's just something in the way he delivers they deliver that little exchange about not being welcome and being abandoned and where you can go and what you can do and stuff, which I found actually quite mm. deep and quite nice. Now, mm. there's nothing in that that should set up twenty minutes of blowtorching people's hats <laughs> off and hitting them in the face <laughs> with irons and piercing their feet with fucking nine inch nails and shit but I found it quite moving nonetheless <laughs> um, yeah let's get so yeah I, I actually think the guy um, playing the old man as well puts in a he really sort of brings it doesn't he He's, it's a very good performance from him yeah yeah, yeah. Um, with very little material yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah okay let's bring on the mayhem then so this is what Home Alone's famous for it's basically <laughs> Kevin entices these two criminals into his sort of fun house of horror and basically torches them for about an hour and a half. <laughs> like, and it is funny because this is the joke in the film that we're all expecting. But where in it, like, where did he come up with this plan? It's quite a nicely drawn plan as well. But when he was doing it, at what point did he think the blowtorch? The blowtorch. Definitely the blowtorch. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he's decided he's going to create all these traps. Um, 
it was so successful this is that it's copied in a James Bond film um, a few years later. Was it which one? But, um, yeah. So yeah, in Skyfall, they like they set up all these booby traps in there. Oh, it just bloody is, isn't alone. it? Yes, Skyfall is Home Alone, <laughs> but in Scotland. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so what I've done here. We're going to run down all the things that happen to these poor hapless criminals. Um, but <laughs> using the help of, and I'm going to name the website because they're going to do a bit of heavy lifting for us all here. Right. A website called Mental Floss has got hold of a doctor <laughs> to diagnose just what the effects of each of these Amazing. things would have been in real oh, life. <laughs> I am here for this. So, <laughs> so it starts with um, the, the air gun to the face. Into the balls, so the um, <clears throat> the crims go around the back trying to get in the back door, mm. and um, Kevin shoots them through the cat flap and then shoots Marv in the face. Um, doctor's diagnosis: classic air-powered projectile weapons typically have muzzle velocities of 350 feet per second or less. A BB fired at close range from such a weapon could break the skin, but will not penetrate the skull. Lucky for Marv, um, and is unlikely to penetrate Harry's scrotum, <laughs> especially through the fabric. <laughs> So this one isn't too bad an injury. To no, that's right. He's starting bit of pain, small, but nothing too bad. Yeah, I like. The, I like <laughs> yeah. the fact that in this house of horrors, the firearm is the easy option. <laughs> okay, there's a bit of there's a bit of hijinks around um, slipping around on the ice. Um, I love the way the way that the both of them. Like when they slip on the ice, they do the whole sort of like three twists in the air, land on the back, um, but. Then we end up down in the basement with Marv, um, and he pull, tries to switch the light on and gets a uh, gets an eye into the face. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's just the print of the eye um, that's on his face for the rest of the film. Imagine having to put that on in makeup every morning. Now, do you know what? Before we go any further through these, I, there's another thing that I found out the other day that I, I kind of want to flag here because if it's true, it's horrifying. Um, yeah. Most of these stunts, because they did it on a budget, most of these stunts were done without crash mats. And so the reason, this is true, the reason that the stunts stand up so well is that most of them were done for real. (laughs) And that's the sort of thing which feels clickbaity, and I don't want that to be true, but at the same time, they do stand up remarkably well for such an old film. And there's a lot of single shot, no cutaway, crashing from the icy steps onto the hard concrete and the rest of it. And if if that's the case, I feel like we should all just pass the hat around for the stuntmen that worked on this film, because they will now be in their 50s, (laughs) regretting the life decisions of their younger selves. (laughs) Apparently, um, Joe Pesci Mm. had to make up his own, like, personal collection of swear words, like, non-swear words, swear words, because in the early takes... He just kept, kept swearing when <laughs> stuff was happening to him. That's amazing. Uh, which is why he got the yeah the weird little like, like pseudo swearing that he does. It's so good, uh, anyway. that. It's so, I just love that. Because <laughs> it communicates everything you need to know and can be broadcast at any time of day you like. It's genius. Yeah. Yeah. So the eye into the face, the doctor says, if we estimate the distance is 15 feet from first floor to basement and assume the iron weighs four pounds, um, this is a serious impact with enough force to fracture the bones surrounding the eye. Fucking hell. <laughs> so he should be walking around with a sort of fractured face and a cheekbone hanging off his kind of swollen eye. 
Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Harry is over at the front door, getting his hand burned by and getting his hand branded by the McAllister doorknob. Um, <laughs> apparently, if the doorknob is glowing visibly red in the dark, it's been heated to around seven hundred and fifty-one degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that was another questionable one for me, that Kevin just heats this thing up and leaves it there. Like, this house should have burned down from two different directions by this point. (laughs) Apparently it was this. The doorknob is not quite hot enough to cause Harry's hand to burst into flames, but it's not far off. Assuming Harry doesn't lose the hand completely, he'll almost certainly have other serious complications, including high risk of infection and scar tissue that seriously limits flexibility and movement in the hand. There you go. Believe it. Believe it. Shouldn't have broken into a house with a kid inside it then, should you? Huh? Joe Pesci? At this, well, well, at this point, the doctor says Kevin has moved from defending his house into sheer malice. <laughs> at this point, I'd like to hand over to my colleague, the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up is the blowtorch to the scalp. So he, um, yeah, Harry opens the door, and the, the, this is the one that I think I assume is on the posters, or certainly in the trailers. Um, <laughs> the doctor says Harry has an interesting reaction to having his bl- a lit blowtorch aimed directly at his scalp. Rather than remove himself from danger, he keeps the top of his skull directly in the line of fire for about seven <laughs> seconds, <laughs> so he can pull the right face and make you know. That's commitment to the comedy, isn't it? Really, what's happening there? That's him leaning into the comedy. <laughs> well, he's paying for that comedy because apparently um, that happening means the skin and bone tissue on Harry's skull will now be so damaged and rotted that his skull bone is essentially dying and will likely require a skull transplant. <laughs> Oh my goodness. goodness. So a skull well, transplant from go. who? Who could possibly have a skull that's as worthy of that as Joe Pesci? <gasps> Robert De Niro. <laughs> Robert De Niro needs to donate his skull to Joe Pesci. That's the way it needs to go. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the, the one that I, when I was younger, the one that I th- found most like wince-inducing was this one, where Marv climbs in through the window and um, and stands on the Christmas ornaments, and they all burst under his yeah, feet. Yeah. Um, the doctor says, compared to everything else, this is next to nothing. But um, that one was the one that always made me like, oh, just think, oh, that's especially the bit where he does it, and then he gets up and tries to walk past them, yeah. and another one bursts. <laughs> next to his it's so good. Well, that is the one though. I think that you experience most often as a child, right? Because you've left your toys on the floor and you want to run around and you don't care. And so, like getting <laughs> getting a Lego brick like sharp side up into the bottom of your foot, that's the one you feel. Whereas, God willing, as a child, you've never had a <laughs> doorknob heated to 751 degrees Fahrenheit that you've decided to grasp hard (laughs) or decided to stay direct blast of a blowtorch for seven seconds (laughs) yeah Um, so there's there's then the bits I mean the one that I used to find find the funniest I used to love completely was the fact that he gets Harry to walk into this room and get a load of like Sticky glue on his face, and then fires a load of feathers. Oh, at him. it's tremendous, isn't and it? It's, it's it's hilarious, and it creates that great line where Marv goes, "Why are you dressed as a chicken?" But <laughs> what the hell did he I can't off? for the life of me. 
understand why he's done it. <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly this is a decision I made objectively with all the resources that were available to me at the time. Have we, by the way, have we blown past the bit where Marv puts a nail through his foot? Oh, yeah, yeah, that almost skipped. And that, that was, yeah, that actually was also... Anything to do with the feet seemed to really make me wince when yeah. I was like, yeah, that one where he puts his... Oh, that, he puts oh it's his horrible, isn't it? There. That it got a horrible. big reaction in the yeah. room when I watched it in preparation for this podcast. That was everything else. People were like, oh, <laughs> slapstick, slapstick, slapstick. But the idea of like yeah. a tar-covered nail going into your foot. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we've got the paint can on the... Um, the, the, the cans of paints on the stairs... Um, which I think is probably the one that created most problems around the home as well. I'd imagine <laughs> a lot of people tried trying that. Of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that put something on some string and swung it down the stairs as someone was coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the paint cans. Now, there's a bit of a. I think there's a uh, scientists disagree here because I saw another one of these articles where the um, the doctor said that it might have taken the head off. Um, it off. It suddenly very <laughs> dark. Yeah, that would have been the, that would yeah. right turn into uh, that horror movie, Black Christmas, right? Yeah, but they, this doctor says, assuming the paint can is full, roughly ten pounds, and the rope ten feet long, then they, 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 Marv and Harry are each roughly taking a two kilonewton hit to the face. This is easy enough to fracture multiple facial bones. It's probably going to knock you out cold, and they're probably not going to walk away with many of the teeth either. So wow, that's pretty. Ser- that, that is a pretty, pretty serious brutal, one, Yeah, yeah. This is one of the things, by the way, that is like such a staple of popular culture that we sort of blow past it whenever it happens. But it's actually like mm. if you get knocked out in a film, that just means that you know your opponent has found a way of getting out of this scene without having to do anything worse. If somebody hits yeah. you in the head hard enough to cause you to lose consciousness, even for a couple of seconds in real life. Go to the fucking hospital. Like that is that is bad game. You are out of commission for some time to come. Um, and 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 in this, yeah, I can just imagine being hit in the face with a paint can on the end of a ten foot rope. Is you're not doing anything else. Certainly, your interest in breaking and entering will be dramatically reduced as a result. Which I suppose is the point. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, towards the end now because they're, they're still running through the house. There's the line that Kevin gives, which is great. Was a do you give up or are you thirsty for more? Because <laughs> um, he's clearly thoroughly enjoying himself at this point. Yeah. Um, and one of my favourite moments is where they nearly catch him, and he places the tarantula on um, Marv's face. <laughs> the scream <laughs> that this actor gives is just—it's oh goodness, it's so perfect, isn't it? It's this and the. Have you seen the film um, Beethoven? With the dog, uh, yeah. There's a. Yeah. That, this is another one with a, like astonishingly well credentialed actors in the role of the hapless, stupid bad guys. And one of the one of <laughs> one of them is Oliver Platt, multi Emmy award winning actor Oliver Platt. The other one is Academy Award winner Stanley Tucci. And Stanley Tucci at one point <laughs> gets bitten on the ass by a dog, and he gives it the same high pitched. And and it's you know all good actors make this decision. It's the right way to go. It brings the house down every time. Yeah, and just the moment where the spider's on the on Harry's chest as well. <laughs> I was getting ready to try and hit it, and it's just the the expression on Harry's face is like, Marv, what what are you doing? Marv, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. 
So yeah, we have that. We have the bit where they try and follow Kevin out of the window, and um, he cuts the. I mean, they're not helping themselves. You know, <laughs> they get halfway out on the rope, and he cuts it, and they end up crashing into the wall. Yeah. Don't have any doctor's diagnosis for that. The last one I've got for the doctor is at the end where they finally catch him in his neighbor's house and hang him up on a wall and start talking through all the things they're going to do to him, which is quite horrific. Yeah. Um, and then this old guy, the old guy, old man Marley comes in and whacks him on the head ah, with a shovel. Old man Marley oh, wins! <laughs> um, at this point, the doctor's diagnosis is, seriously, at this point, Marv and Harry have both suffered potentially crippling hand and foot injuries. Harry's proven to be nearly impervious to burns and both managed to retain consciousness. Both have managed to retain consciousness after taking a flying paint can to the face. Suddenly, a frail elderly man appears <laughs> and weakly slaps them with a flimsy aluminium <laughs> snow shovel. And somehow this is too much for them and they collapse. Amazing. Uh, not convinced uh, that it's at all a problem, the, uh, the shovel to the back of the head. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a fair enough point, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a great. It's 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 nice that 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 sort of long setup with the old guy appears through the film. Um, finally, it, it pays off. Oh, absolutely! And he ends up saving. Yeah, ends up saving little uh, little Kevin. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. There you go. I mean, I I find this whole the action sequence a little bit strangely paced, insofar as there's not like mm. a moment where there's like this big cathartic crescendo of violent event. Like the the, the last big thing mm. that happens, apart from them getting essentially tickled with a snow shovel, um, is them swinging down to hit the wall um, off the mm. rope, which is dramatic, but absolutely like wouldn't have happened. And even as I say that, yeah. I realise that I am taking this movie too seriously. Wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Let it go, Dave. It's Christmas. Uh, we get to the end of the film now, um, where... so. The police arrest the wet bandits. Obviously, they know where they've um, the, all the houses they've robbed because every time they rob a house, Marv <laughs> floods it. <laughs> it's such a stupid thing to do. I'm going to do the thing that makes us famous. Makes it easier for us to get caught, you mean. I like the fact that earlier on as well, where Marv tells Harry that he's done it again, Harry's like, even he's got a line. He's like, that's sick, man. <laughs> should do that. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, they're arrested. They're taken away. Kevin, presumably with the help of the old guy, maybe on his own, cleans the house up perfectly, apart from Buzzy's room, and decorates everything. Everything looks wonderful for when they get back. Um, his mum returns just in time for them to offer an emotional reunion. And then the rest of the family turn up. And as you say, dad is the most nonchalant yeah. return he ever. He sort of walks he in. Assumes everything's as, fine. As though like everything's been fine. <laughs> which which is suspiciously is because Kevin has somehow managed to professionally clean the place, leaving only the telltale gold <laughs> tooth lodged in the hallway floor. But, <laughs> but it does. He walks in like, you know, there's the nice reunion mother and son. And that is actually lovely, even though, again... You ought to be ashamed of yourself, but um, mm-hmm. but but then the whole family come in, and he's just on this kind of like I was in Paris and now I'm here. I'm for jet lag. Apparently, is not a thing with these people. What the hell? But you just walk into that. <laughs> hey, lots of go, go, lots of talking, lots of bustle. Kevin, my boy. Hey, how you doing? And he doesn't <laughs> even get to the end of a sentence before he gets distracted by something else. Probably Buzz trying to get more whiskey out of him, and like it's just astonishingly kind of cavalier approach. 
Um, but then, as we've established, <laughs> he is a corrupt cop working mostly in the New Jersey area. So, what do you expect? Exactly. He's, yeah, he's going to be a bit. He's going to maintain yeah, that sheen of bonhomie, sort of, right? It's lunch. <laughs> yeah. So we have that, um, and then at the very end, um, Kevin looks out and sees that he's uh, yeah, old man Marley's been reunited with his family. Uh, <laughs> How Kevin, what have you done to my room? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great ending line. Um, the um, uh, but, but again, rather does highlight what he hasn't done to the rest of the house. Apparently, the fact that he's managed to tidy everything else up. Um, I like that old man Marley was kind enough to have his lifelong reunion with his estranged son, which presumably was a bit of a coin toss, but he's decided to manufacture it so it takes place in front of the McAllister house. Son, I haven't seen you for years. I've missed my grandchildren. I've missed you desperately. I've been such a fool. I've been such a fool. Will you embrace me in reconciliation? Dad, I'm so sorry. Yes, of course I will. It's just been so difficult, and I'm just so sorry. Wait, wait a moment, son. Wait a moment. We need to go and stand in front of that unfeasibly enormous mansion on this otherwise ordinary suburban block. For reasons I'll explain later. Come on. Dad, what the hell are you doing? This is exactly why I didn't want to talk to you in the first place. All of this weird theatrical nonsense. You wear those stupid massive goth boots and you go around trying to knock out robbers using only your aluminium snow shovel. You're not a superhero, Dad. Knock it off. In fact, forget it. I'm going home for Christmas. It's not happening. But son, we needed the staging. Gah! Oh, well, mate. We'll do it again for the sequel. <laughs> and that brings Home Alone to a close. <laughs> I might have got into that a bit much. Um, As I say, sangria must it is. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a couple of things I just want to say before we get to the reviews. Mm. A couple of recommendations. One for something that sadly is no longer with us, so you can't check it out. Or it still exists online, but I don't know if it's really. Well, yeah, you can still find the sort of like the the, the remnants of it. It's basically the Home Alone Project on Twitter. Mm. This is a thing that was about. Um, it's probably about ten years ago now, mm. but uh, it was every Christmas, on the from the twenty third through to Christmas Day, mm. uh, there was a collection of twenty six Home Alone characters with their own Twitter accounts, and they'd all tweet in real time as if Home Alone was happening. Yeah. So you'd have like Harry and Marv talking to each other on Twitter, and um, like it was just great. If you go, if you look for H A T Project on Twitter. You can still find the sort of the gubbins of it, and you can look at all the different members that they created, all the different accounts. <laughs> yeah, but it was just great every Christmas just to sort of watch it unfold on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> by the time you got to Christmas Eve, it was just a series of the Harry and Marv accounts just going out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I followed that. That was one of those things that I did way back in the early days when Twitter was something other than kind of a cesspit filled with Nazis. Um, was was a um, was was watching that, and it was I was just so happy that somebody thought of doing that, and this film in particular, it's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, so we've got that. And the other thing I wanted to recommend was um, the 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 horror recut. We'll put this on our on our Twitter. Mm. The horror recut of Home Alone trailer, which is basically taking all the. <laughs> it's taking all like a lot of shots from Home Alone, mm. a lot of moments from it, and cutting it in a way that makes it look like a horror film. And it's, <laughs> that's that's probably not difficult to do, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, we'll put that on Twitter. But it's well worth. Oh, watch. brilliant, brilliant. Um, I um, I, I my, yeah. my own contribution to this this little collection of uh, of interesting and ephemera is um, somebody on Twitter I saw the other day who, to be fair. 
was not a Nazi. So again, demonstrating Twitter's not that bad, I suppose. <laughs> but um, uh, but he was telling a story about how when he, he's about my age and he was saying, when I was nine, um, I was uh, me and my dad were going through an airport in, in America and um, I saw Joe Pesci and... Home Alone 2 was my favourite film of all time at that point, so I got my dad to take me over and said hello. And uh, and Joe Pesci mm. apparently said, uh, oh, hey, yeah, no, that's great, that's great. Oh, you like the film, so glad about that. Hey, hey, kid, kid, who's your favourite actor? And the kid goes, kid goes, or oh, you are. And Pesci just goes, just takes out his wallet, takes out a crisp hundred, hands it over and goes, good answer, kid, and walks off. <laughs> How good is that? <laughs> That's class. <laughs> just, just imagine being Joe Pesci as you work out that that's what you're going to do. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Shall we get on to the reviews? Yes. We've got a collection of reviews from around the internet. Mostly Amazon. Here we go. Because um, normally, normally I source Goodreads, but because there's no book. It's, Can you imagine the novelization of this? Else. Kevin swung down <laughs> the paint pot. <laughs> so Valerie says five stars a classic this is a classic always worth watching for a cosy family time remembering the early 90s and admiring the sweet little face of Macaulay Culkin oh that's nice I mean can't argue with that I can't can really although sweet isn't the first word I'd use I suppose his face is sweet just his actions are awful <laughs> yeah um, Colin gave it four stars and says this is far from the best. The reason I say this is because there are a few things I hate about the music, about the movie. The good stuff first, the comedy, some of the greatest I've seen. I love the traps, the ice scene after Kevin shoplifts. I like the action. Where the film kicks me in the shin is the annoying parts. Kevin's scream sucks, and the fact that they play it in three different scenes is worse. Uncle Frank is a monster. <laughs> I mean, he is. Preach. Preach. And I don't. And as as far as as far as Kevin's dad's concerned, I don't care for his character. <laughs> Overall, I understand that people consider Home Alone to be a classic, and it earns a decent review, seven on ten. Hey, yeah. I'm gonna have it, Colin. It's stars, four stars. Four stars. There we go. Okay, okay I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. I can't argue with any of the elements <laughs> of it for a start. The scream is rubbish, but <laughs> um, Dora. Gave it four stars. Not entirely sure she's telling the truth here, but she says, I tried some of these traps on my dad. It worked very well, just like the movie presented. I'm not sure if he's still physically capable of moving them. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that makes me very happy. <laughs> do you have a few one stars? Oh, I definitely do, yeah. One out of, t- one out of ten this is given, so that would be 0.5 stars. Um, the big it's the title it's Adrian. Uh, the 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 review title is the beginning of the end for John Hughes, um, and it says set aside the preposterous setup. We're left with a movie that portrays violence without consequence. And what makes it especially irritating is that the violence is played for laughs. How funny is it to see a man hit with a can of paint? Joe Pesci deserved better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Let's be clear. Got paid, but um. But also, I, I mean, that's not an unreasonable objection, although this is the same year that, that created some other astonishingly violent... Like, this is... I can't name the... So I shouldn't say that, I suppose. But, like, this is the film you decide to complain about Hollywood's addiction to violence with. This, this one. This one. Not all the films where just shooting the guy makes everything all right. It's this one with the paint cans that you're going to have a problem with. What? 
<laughs> this one, one star. I'd vote negative numbers if I could. As an adult, this is a big reason I'm beginning to hate Christmas. Fucking hell! Christmas movie. My goodness. <laughs> My goodness. This is uh this brings to an end our coverage of Home Alone. And until the new year, have a very great Christmas of Fantastic. New year. Can you can you tell this isn't scripted? <laughs> Have a great Christmas Eve. Thank you and good night. Much Thank love. you and good night. Thank you.